So what's up, everybody? We're here with a Green Pastures Farm intern. They're going to explain this to you guys in a little bit. Uh, ben and Isaac, they've been working with uh, Greg Judy now for almost a year. Is that right? Yeah, 11, 11 months. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a dream come true for a lot of people that watch Greg daily. You know, that's one of the first things I do every morning before I go out, check my cows is go watch uh, one of Greg's uh, videos and go, okay, I mean, how can I impl implement this on my system? And uh, you guys are really lucky for that. So explain to everybody, we're just explaining to me um, about what your guys' role is with Greg and how, how that can be, how that came about. Yeah. You want to, yeah. So um, last April in 2020, we, me and Ben came on here to the farm as interns here at Green Pastures Farm. Um, then we were set as we were going to be staying on for a full year, you know, learning, learn what we can, um, do, doing the normal internship. And then in October, around October time, Greg and Jan came up and offered both of us the opportunity to stay on a another year. So we will be finishing in the 2022 yeah. um, around April time as, you know, quasi interns slash apprentices or um, it's, it's never been done before. So there's no yeah. like official title. Yeah. You're like we're interns, kind of, interns with experience. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Cause we're bringing on another intern yes. actually at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. um, so there'll be three of us. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So you guys, uh, what's your guys' background? Let's start with uh, Ben on this one. You guys have a, a farming background or, is it, you know, um, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I didn't, I mean, I worked on farms in high school um, a little bit. I'm originally from um, Massachusetts. And cool. so, um, I mean, it was more just like, I really love spending time outdoors. Like, I love backpacking, downhill skiing, hiking, running, like fishing, like that kind of stuff. And, and I've always loved, loved nature and spending time outside. And so it was more in high school, it was more like, oh, a way to like make a little bit of money and like, you know, get to be outside and work with my hands and like that kind of stuff. And so that was really all it was. I was just, you know, working on a vegetable farm here and there, maybe like a couple pigs or chickens, but like no real livestock. Um, and that was the extent of like my farming experience because it's not super prevalent, like where I'm from. Um, and then I went to college and I studied environmental science in college in upstate New York. Um, and, and that was more just, you know, just trying to give myself a lot of options because I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, um, I had no intentions really of going into agriculture. I thought maybe I'd go into forestry or something like that, but something where I didn't have to work at a desk and be able to be outside as much as I could. Um, and then somewhere along the way, I um, ran into like, you know, the concept of regenerative agriculture. And I started reading about that on my own. And then it, and then the stuff that I was learning in school, like stuff started to become sort of applicable from an environmental, environmental science standpoint, as far as the whole like regeneration of ecosystems and building soil and whatnot. Um, and so it just became like a win-win in my mind for like, in a lot of different respects, a win-win, you know, a win-win for me personally, because I get to spend time outside. Um, I get to, um, you know, interact with nature and like help, help repair ecosystems and, um, and, and it's like, and it's super engaging. And then, and then the other aspect, which is like the, you know, the, like the silver bullet, so to speak of being able to feed people as well as healing ecosystems, you know, you through, you know, using, using livestock as a tool. Um, and so at the end of my time in college, I was trying to like take as many courses as I could that would sort of relate to it. And that's when I, 
decided to apply to the internship for Greg's um, place here, which I had, I had found like way before, he, like before he had a YouTube channel, he had this old website. You couldn't even find the internship. You had to like click through like a back door to get in there and like find the page with the information on it. And I was like, yeah, it might be kind of interesting, you know, like later on down the road, but I wasn't really thinking more than that. And then when I graduated, it was like, I got to give this thing a shot. And so I applied and went through that whole process. Um, and then was lucky enough to be selected. And here we are. And it was one of the best decisions I've made in a long time. So that's, that's awesome. sort of my background in a nutshell. Wow. Yeah. Isaac, how about you? Yeah. So I'm originally from Michigan, Southern Michigan, right on the Indiana border. Um, I grew up in a small town, um, high school. I had like 88 kids in my graduating class. Um, grew up, my dad has 40 acres and, and we would, we raised our own pigs and chickens, um, for meat. And then we also hunted. And so we, we didn't buy any meat from the grocery store. Everything we, everything we ate, we raised on our, you know, our land. So that kind of that like growing up like that kind of, you know, instilled that in me of like wanting to know where my food's coming from and, you know, how it's raised and, and everything. And then, Oh, probably when I was, I, I'd always had this idea that I kind of wanted to be a farmer because I, I love the outdoors. I love animals and uh, they just kind of fit with what I wanted to do. And so probably around like when I was like in seventh grade or something, my, my one of my uncles who he does rotational grazing to him. Was, uh, the dream he showed me that. And that was like my first like into this whole regenerative culture farming and stuff and so like i think joel salton is in that that uh documentary or and uh so i, I watched that and it kind of started that spark inside me for wanting to do things different you know and so just like through youtube and books and stuff i you know so it's like a big snowball once you get it started oh, yeah. it just grows and grows <laughs> and grows so that kind of, that's kind of i learned about it i was up all night <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and so uh I think what was it? It'd be my my senior year or maybe the summer of my junior year or something. Um I came across Greg's YouTube videos. Or no, it was it was Justin Rhodes um Great American Farm Tour where he came and, and he uh you know went went to Greg's farm and, and looked at the cattle and like, man, that would be that guy's got some good looking cattle. It'd be cool to cool to go there. Yeah. He, it seems like he knows what he's doing. And then, then he started, you know, he had his own YouTube channel and like right when his was starting was when I started to kind of follow along. And I was what you would call a, uh, a YouTube, uh, what was it? Like, yeah. Follow, you know, yeah. like I was, I watched every video, you know? And, and, uh, so then I was like, man, it'd be kind of cool to apply to this. I graduated high school in 2019. Oh, wow. Um, and so that summer I applied and, you know, started that whole process and I got, you know, I got accepted and came here in 2020. I, I did a year of community college, just business classes before I came, but, um, I had held like job, you know, farming jobs. Like I worked at a pumpkin farm in high school. I worked, I did a lot of, you know, mowing lawns and stuff. I, I actually worked for uh, my junior and senior year, the summers, the summer between my junior and senior year. And then the summer after my senior year, I worked at a, uh, a sire service so we collected uh semen you know and shipped it out all over the the united states so that was you know that kind of taught me a lot of cattle sense and like 
how to work with, you know, big animals like that. Cause I'd never had that. I hadn't really had that experience before that, but it was, it was an interesting job. That's for sure. <laughs> wow. That's so, so not too much uh, farming background for either of you, especially on the regenerative side, you guys mm-hmm. basically learned at least, you know, the grazing part from Greg mostly. Is that correct? hundred percent. Yeah. So if somebody is watching this and they want to, you know, start getting involved, they say they, you know, they, they're ready to do something. Okay. They might have a little bit of money saved up. They don't know whether they should buy land, rent land. Where would they start? Where do you, where would you suggest someone that said, okay, they're in your position, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. What would you say to them? I think the first piece is to get educated. Um, and I think that can, come in a variety of forms depending on like how you learn best um i mean for me like like reading in youtube was 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 a big part of that and that's how i found greg um and how i learned about the whole regenerative thing because by the time i mean for both of us like by the time exactly but by the time we applied for for the internship like we didn't know a lot about like you think you know a lot because you've read a bunch and you've watched a lot of stuff but then you come here and it's like a whole other ball game, but, you, but at least just getting that base knowledge, you're just familiar with, you know, sort of like the alphabet, the so to speak. Kind of yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the principles and sort of understand how it works. But I would say just get educated however you can. And then depending on what your situation in life is, I think finding a mentor of some kind, whether that's working for somebody for free, doing an internship, like we're doing mm-hmm. like invaluable, like, hands-on experience after you get that base education like it, it would be, i would highly 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 suggest it if if you're a hard worker and you're passionate about what you're doing you, you know you're going to have a lot of success in this industry you know you you're able to like people people recognize when when someone is you know passionate about something and, and putting a lot of effort into it and they're gonna you know reward you for that or you're gonna get a lot of benefits from doing that and so you know just keep that in mind too yep. when, when you're absolutely when you're when you're wanting to work for somebody or intern or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So interning is probably the the best way to go because that's what you guys did. It's the way that we like to sort of, or the way that I like to sort of think about it is like there's always a between like along this whole like regenerative journey, if you want to call that. There's 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 always like a leap that you're going to have to make, mm-hmm. you know. If, like if you want to call it that to starting your own operation or doing your own thing or whatever, like risk, right? there's, yeah, there's always like a leap. You're going to have to uh, something you're going to have to jump. You're eventually going to have to jump into it and do it. Right. And so like, obviously the ultimate goal would be to make that gap as small as you can. So the jump is going to be as safe as possible. And so like the more, it's not that you can't do it without doing an internship. It's just that the internship, you know, narrows the gap more than more than just you know reading and watching youtube and that kind of stuff but you can still do it and Mm -hmm. the hardest part is just making that leap like Mm -hmm. i mean it's still pretty daunting for us even because like i mean we've learned so much in a year and we're still gonna you know get a lot more repetition next year and learn some more things but like there's still gonna be that like you know man like we're we're really going for it like when that next step actually happens so um but yeah i would like the scariest part is starting but I mean, for, for my own like risk management self, I would try to get, make that gap as small as possible, you know? And if, and if you're focused on the right things, you know, you've got like, even if you can't, if you're not able in, in your life in a position to intern or do something like that, if you're, 
like following the right people or listening to the right advice oh, and man. trying on your own, you're still going to be so much more so successful much than someone off. that's just, you know, flying in the dark. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah. it's what it sounds like you're saying is what Tony Robbins says, and that's find somebody who has what you want, do the same thing, expect the same result. Is that about, sound about right to you guys? I was, I was just going to add to it that like, like the thing to remember when you're, I mean, trying to emulate somebody is always, is always really important because they've got a model that works, but something that like we've talked about before on the stuff that like we do is, is that you, you need to like know yourself before you start jumping into this kind of stuff, because like know yourself and know your situation because, you know, running South pole cattle at like 350 head, you know, the way that Greg does, if you live somewhere completely different or you don't enjoy working with cattle or you have zero experience with it is probably not a great idea. So like, it's like, it's like, yes, you want to be like learning from people who are trying to do what you want to do. But at the end of the day, like you have to make it your own, um, for, for a lot of different reasons, you know, like for your own enjoyment, yeah. as well as like the success of your business. So, cause there's yeah. no two, no two businesses are going to be exactly alike. And you've got to, like, you've got to, morph your business to fit you as a person yeah and and you're and because we're in the land business like you know it has to be tied to the ecosystem that you find yourself in you know mm-hmm. so yeah with with a lot of different you I mean the whole management style breed selection all that kind of stuff is a reflection of you your market and, and your land so so let me ask you this you guys work with the south pole cattle and the the saint croix sheep okay if you guys were to go back to Michigan and Massachusetts and say you wanted to start your own farm, what animal would you start with? That's yeah. Yeah. You, I, you want to answer? Yeah. <laughs> I would. It's a tricky situation because there's like, there's elements to where South pole, you know, like Greg's cattle or, or like his, if you would like use his bulls, I mean, you're going to be so much farther ahead than and most bulls that you could ever buy yep. on the market. Um, but that being said, too, Michigan is a totally different climate than here in Missouri. And so it's going to take quite a jump for those animals to get adapted to that environment. And some of them just may never yep. get adapted. Okay, um, then let's word it like this. Sheep or cattle, which way would you go? Uh, it depends on – it depends on – There's a lot of like, animals. It's yeah. like if you – I think I think one of the biggest things, I mean, market is like one is one big thing. Like if, if you have the capacity to sell, sell your sheep, if you're planning on doing mostly for meat, or if you're planning on doing it mostly for seed stock, you need to make sure that you have an ability to sell sheep. The advantage, the big advantage in those two environments with sheep is the fact yeah. that you can do it on really small acreages. Yeah. So, um, and with li- limited and capital with li- to start Exactly. Off. Because, you know, a sh- like Greg's stuff is top of the market and it's still only like a couple hundred dollars per animal as opposed to a couple thousand dollars per animal. So yeah. yeah. And like the, the, the rate at which they reproduce is also a lot faster. So your cash flow is a lot better when you start out. But I mean, sheep are really intriguing for, and like, I, I would think for somebody who's a complete beginner and doesn't know what they're doing, yeah. I think sheep are a great option just because there's a lot of, risk that gets mitigated with sheep as far as financially like physical risk to yourself because you know if you get knocked over by a 150 pound you you're probably going to be okay but if you get knocked over by a thousand pound cow like you, you, might, you, you might not be okay so it's like and i mean obviously like you know cattle it's not like cattle are dangerous but it's yeah. something it's just something to think about if they you have no be. experience but i would say 
I don't know. I mean, for Massachusetts, I think probably sheep would be a good idea just because of the limited land availability. Um, and to be clear, like I'm not actually planning on going back home. Um, I, like I know it was just an example, but it's, it's just not like the, where specifically where I'm from, there's just, it wouldn't make sense. Like land, land prices are way too high. There's way too many people. Um, yeah, it would be, it'd be a tough, it'd be a tough go. Well, I moved I mean, from LA in California out to East. Yeah, just exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, but, but like for Isaac, it's like a super relevant question because yeah. that's um, something that he's been thinking a lot I've about. Kind of directed home a little bit as, as in my goals. Um, I think uh, me personally, I would probably try to start with the cattle. If I, if I had, you know, a nest egg saved up enough that I could make the jump. Um, if, if I, you know, kind of stressed on capital or, you know, I don't have the huge funds to draw from starting out. I think sheep are, are like a really good way to start up for like you talked about yeah. like the financial and the risk factor, but it's also, they're a lot hardier than cattle and they can take a lot more abuse or like poor land or poor management, you know, like they, they can they can survive on some pretty poor forage, whereas a cow she kind of needs you know good nutrition and and keep it to keep her body and her calf going and and so um, yeah I, I would say st- if someone was starting out like you said yeah just complete newbie sheep for sure sheep are such a good idea mm-hmm. yeah now here's but now I think now starting just completely out too okay. When it's a different situation for everybody. Like when we were moving out here to East Texas, I wanted to buy land because I wanted to buy a house. I wanted to, you know, be able to get settled. Didn't really have anywhere to just rent because I didn't know the area. If someone is in that situation or even knows the area, knows everything really well, what do you, what would you say for them to do? Would you say rent land or would you say buy land? And then how much money do you think it would take to start up a small scale operation in order to make it viable, to make it somewhat worth it for people to get into? If, you know, somebody looking to save money, okay, I have, you know, around this amount, how much do you think you would say they need just to start it part-time? There's a, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say like, obviously like the, like starting like if we if we just address the land piece as far as like renting versus owning to start with i think like owning is always the ultimate goal because like even if you have a for like security for, for security or hold on it's a it's the it's the dryer sorry, sorry about that. Um, but the the i think i think owning is the owning is like the ultimate goal for a lot of reasons like it's security of of your land and you want. don't have to be because even the best, even the best lease could get pulled out from underneath you with a weird circumstance. You know, even if, even if you really know the person and whatever, like stuff happens and, and you could lose that. Um, and so, so like owning is the ultimate goal, but obviously owning, owning requires a ton of capital in order to make like an operation work to support you. Other, I mean, you could do it on small acreages. It's just, you have to get super creative with layering um, enterprises in order yeah. to do it. But the leasing obviously is, is, there's a huge advantage because you don't need a ton of capital to start doing that. Um, and, and you can get access to a lot of land than you otherwise would be able to. But the, the tricky piece is like being able to do it because we've learned like from Greg's situation that like his leases, it's all like relationship based as in like, yeah. you really got to know people and work those 
like landowner relationships, be talking to people and always sort of scheming like where maybe you could be leasing like a couple acres here, a couple acres there. And it just takes time to accumulate all that kind of stuff. Um, but once you get it, if you're able to work that out, it's a huge advantage to be able to do that. Yeah, um, for sure. But again, it just depends on how much capital you've got and what area you're in. And if there's land available to lease, because it's not easy. Like that's a big criticism that we hear from people is like, well, I'm not like Greg. I don't have, you know, I don't have like abandoned land everywhere that I can lease. Like, you know, people are cropping it or whatever. And, and that's a big problem. I mean, for you, it's, yeah. it's a oh, big yeah. problem, for especially. Back home, it's like, it's either, it's either row crop or it's swamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing in between. It just so, drives the land prices yeah. up. Yeah. So it's like yeah, I'm, a lot. Yeah. It's something to definitely, it's a challenge to overcome. But. Yeah. And then it's, and then the financial piece of it, I mean, like we've, like we've worked on for, for, we worked with Greg on a bunch of consulting projects. And so we've done a lot of the back end like spreadsheet work as far as like how much it's going to cost to start something or whatever. So, but obviously we can't really like get into like that kind of like detail, but I think like, I think the, I think it's, you can, you can start as simply as you, as, as, as simply would, yeah. as your means are, you know I, what I mean? I would say starting out, you need to create a budget and determine what you need, in, you know, personally to live on, like what, what you feel comfortable with living on. And then you've got to adjust your, your business to make that, you know, because if you're not, if you're not able to, you know, provide for yourself, you're not going to be able to keep that business running. So like, that's got to be kind of the, the starting point, I guess. And then the numbers wise, like depending on your market, depending on your, uh, you know, your land, your cattle, like there's a lot of variables that go into it. But if you can get it to where your profit coming in is what you need and maybe a little more that you could put back into the business, that's, you know, you're going to be doing good there. Um, the thing that I will say, though, is like. If with the with the model that like Greg is Greg has developed as far as the kind of infrastructure that he uses in his style of sort of overarching style of management, which obviously varies from place to place, depending on what you're doing. Like well, the first time we put together like a spreadsheet as far as how much it actually cost to start an operation from scratch, like no fencing, no water, no livestock, no nothing. In I mean, this was in an extremely arid environment, but still it's like it it was shocking to me how cheap it actually was. For it was the like acreage. 140 acres. Yeah, it was like 140 what? acres, and it was 50,000. But that wasn't including the cattle. No, it wasn't including the cattle. But it, the things that you should really be concentrating on, I guess, I guess a good way to approach it would be like the things to concentrate on when you start. Right, would be livestock, fence, and water. Yeah. And so if you can, if you can just break down each of those things, where it's like, okay, what do I really need for my fence? What do I really need for my water? And what do I really need for my livestock? And so it's like, make sure you've got a good perimeter fence and then, and then, you know, make sure you've got like some sort of water, watering, watering system, whether that's, you know, surface water, gravity flow, pressurized, like that kind of stuff. And then your livestock is really where you should be putting the most of your money because that's the stuff that's going to make a return on your investment. Like you shouldn't be worrying about building barns or corrals or a lot of like permanent infrastructure starting out because like, that's just going to eat up your capital. Like don't be building swales or, you know, trying to. <laughs> trying to like do all sorts of like this dig cool ponds. dig ponds and like all this cool infrastructure stuff. You could start to incorporate some of that like later on down the road, but you really just got to be lean and mean in the beginning mm -hmm. and be concentrated on 
getting, what's going to make you money. Yeah, what's going to make you money, getting good quality livestock on your land and be able to keep them there, be able to water them, and then your feed is taken care of by what you got. So, so fencing, I don't know water, and animals. Or, yep, that's the important stuff for sure. Um, for sure. Bare bones. Yep. And, I mean, and, we, yeah. Greg doesn't – Greg has one – basically one barn on the on the farm it's, it's, not, it's not even really, really a, barn. a barn it's, it's like, like a shed it's like a pole shed over over a working facility yeah or like a, sh- a shoot system he'll yeah. he'll tell people like the hay barn go go, go go like drive down the road where we're going to meet somebody who's picking up a bailing roller or something be like drive down to this address you'll see you'll see a pole barn on the right with a tractor and it's like people don't stop because they don't think it's a barn it's just like a shed but it's, yeah. it's his barn so it's sort of so he'll yeah. call it yeah but I mean, that's it. Kind of goes to show that you really don't need like the thought of oh, we need to put you know build all these things. You really don't need that to be successful in this business. So it's kind of, I mean, for I don't know, fifteen years, Greg didn't even own a tractor. Yep, that's so, very recent. Yeah. So wow. yeah, and and you can see like when Greg started out, he started with literally no money. Mm-hmm. Like he was. I think he had $8 dollars in his bank account. Like, like that kind of stuff. And so you can see remnants of like the old equipment and stuff that he used to use that's still in existence in certain aspects. But then as he, as the business grew, he was able to like update certain pieces of it. And yeah. so um, like it, you should really, and he just relied a ton on his creativity yeah. in the beginning. It would be in like the resources he had available to him yeah. and his sweat equity in order to make it work. And so that's sort of the mentality. If you don't have a lot of capital, that's what you need to do to start. If you do have a lot of capital, hire somebody who knows what they're doing, at least as a consultant to come in and tell you like, this is what you need to be using for this, this watering system. This is what you should be doing for your grazing plan. And it'll save yeah. you. If you spend like a couple thousand dollars on a consulting fee, you're gonna it'll save, save you like so much headache and money, like in time lost, you know, down the road. The so yeah. it's something to think about too. That's smart. That's yeah. very smart. Now, money, that, that's one of the biggest obstacles. And another thing is people say it takes too much time. So you guys yep. run a big operation there. Um, you know, everybody following Greg on YouTube, they see maybe 10, 15 minutes of your guys' day. Do you think you can take us through a day, what it's like to work with Greg and kind of tell us your, uh, you know, what a typical day looks like? I know it's all different, but, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. when do you guys start? What time do you guys end kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, so my alarm goes off at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I wake up, you know, relieve myself. Um, <laughs> go to the go to the kitchen and start making breakfast. Um, and we 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 get get around and we're uh, we meet down there at seven thirty um, in the morning down at Greg's house. So we live up we live in a trailer up above uh, Greg's place, and then they live down down the driveway. So we're right here on the farm. If anything goes wrong. We're right here if he needs us. And so that's like super huge. Um, so yeah, we get there 7:30. Um, first thing we do is we go to the the mob. We call it the mob, which is all the cows, calves, you know, the herd. And we'll move them. Either we'll move them on their paddock or we'll give them hay, depending on the you know, the time, seat, of, year. time of year yeah. and everything. Um, that usually takes, I mean, it's very dependent, but yeah, anywhere from an hour to all morning. So uh yeah. I mean, depending on if things go wrong or not, but usually let's say two hours and then maybe by nine, nine o'clock, nine 30, we'll go and we'll move the sheep. We only move the sheep every other day, but like in the growing, growing season right now, it's a lot less than that, but we still go and check on them every, every day or two. 
um, because we've got a lot of guard dogs in there right now. We're raising guard dog puppies. Yeah. 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 But anyway. so, yeah, we'll go to the sheep. And then usually by the time that they're done, it's like 10 o'clock, 1030, maybe about 1030. Um, we're done with the sheep. And right now, so we have the bulls sorted off right now because we're in that period of time where we don't want them breeding because it'll be, we'll have winter calves. And so now we've got the bull chores to do too. And so we either move them or give them a bale. And so I would say usually by 10, 11 o'clock, yeah, we're, we're usually done with chores. Yeah. Um, and so then we do, we work on like little projects or do set up like, like the sawmill or set up fence or um, things like that. Yeah. Um, yep. And we usually take lunch around noon, 12, 31 o'clock. So somewhere in there, it's about an hour lunch usually. Um, after lunch, usually we'll have a some kind of little project we're doing, whether, you know, like I said, that's temporary fence, fencing around a pond permanent. Like there's a lot of different things we do, obviously, on the farm. Sometimes, I mean, when it was really cold recently, I mean, you guys got a ton of snow down in Texas, but we got, we had like negative, negative 25 degree temperature or whatever up here. Mm -hmm. And so like, you can't really be outside for a long length of time when it's that cold. So like, you know, afternoon projects for us, when we were inside, we have a ton of sales that we're working like logistically through um, this summer. And so it was just coordinating a lot of that stuff on the back end. Yeah. Um, so sometimes computer we do work. computer work, but most of the time we're outside doing stuff. And then usually around four o'clock, we go back out to the cow mom and we'll, you know, move them again, do chores in the evening. Um, sometimes it's a little later. Sometimes it's a little earlier. I'd say the range is like, we're done anywhere between at the earliest would be like four 30 and the latest would probably be like seven 30, yeah. you know, like in the, summertime. in the summertime. I mean, obviously in the winter when it gets dark, yeah. I mean, you we're, done by five. We're, we're done when it gets dark, you know? Yeah. Um, but in the summer, especially in the heat of the summer, I mean, like it gets for us, like, like Northern, Northern dudes, it was really hot here in the summertime. Yeah. And so it was like, what, like our, our schedule changed in the summer because the animals don't like moving when it's hot as well. So we'd move them a lot earlier, like an hour earlier. And then we'd move them like an hour later than we usually do. And so we were getting up really early and then we'd be done really late. But then we had like a two and a half hour lunch in the middle of the day, like to make up for that, like time on the ends. And so, you know, you just sort of restructure it based on the time of year, but yeah, that's pretty typical. And then the weekends are different. Um, we Greg likes to give us time off on the weekend. So we'll basically just do chores and then that's it. So we meet, we do our two hours or whatever in the morning of moving stuff around. And then we, then we're off until about like four o'clock when we go and move stuff again. And that's when we get to go get groceries, clean the house, chill out, go fishing, you go know, hiking. go hiking, whatever kind of like, you know, stuff, stuff that we, we want to do in the middle of the day. But mm -hmm. I mean, we're working, you know, seven days a week it's just a little bit lighter on the weekends and like full sometimes, it's for not. The, sometimes we have a full saturday or a full sunday depending on what's going on yeah if something goes wrong like we could work you know mm -hmm. or like until lunch customers come in or yep. stuff like that yeah yeah your chore time between the morning and the evening to move almost 400 ca cattle and then what roughly around a hundred and something 200 sheep yeah, right, right. yeah, four hours total um, each day. Is that is that about a, is that a good uh, approximate? Maybe. 
Yeah, yeah that would be like that'd be like a max. Yeah. Because sometimes the cattle takes five minutes. Yeah. I think our cheat are like from truck to truck. Our guys and like when we got out of the truck to when we got back in the truck, I think it's, it's like, like the shortest was like 15, 15 minutes. Yeah. It's probably the fastest it's ever been. Um, and that's moving like you know four hundred head. So, but I mean the longest sometimes sometimes we'll be there for hours if something's going wrong. You know, like yeah. a calf needs needs attention or um something like that but yeah if you've got it set up which that 15 minutes that he was talking about that was because we had the paddocks already set up so yep. all we did we got there rolled up the wire they moved across and we left yep we checked the water mineral check you always you're checking them too you're mm -hmm. you're keeping an eyeball for anything that looks and then, and then you're good place um, yeah um yeah but yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool because people always say like oh it's way too much work to move cattle twice a day and it's like it's really not more work it's just different you're just readjusting the amount of work you're doing mm -hmm. it's like we don't work any more than a lot of people who raise livestock it's just we work on different things like mm -hmm. we're not firing up a tractor and going in like you know like getting one of those shredders whatever they're called like you know grind up feed for and like you know go and pour it to to, to the cattle and like that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but we don't have to move them if you do that but it's like yeah or you could spend that time going and setting up paddocks and and then you're actually enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the sunshine. And the, yeah and the green grass and the blue skies yeah so it's not like more more or i mean a lot in a lot of respects it's less work but yeah. it's really not more work it's just i would say it's a, less work it's just honestly. adjusted um while working at the sire service it was it you know we took care of animals and it we had probably 40 head and it took the same which we were doing different things too. yeah it's not a regenerative <laughs> right, sorry right. service yeah. well and it's not we, yeah. we were doing beef we were doing semen but yeah anyways it i mean we i worked harder there not harder sometimes longer hours there than i'd work than we work here just because um like you know baling hay or doing other things like that like stuff that we don't really focus on here we we, we do a lot every day but it's like the same thing every day and it's yeah. it's a more I guess controlled and the work. the work schedule is also like adapted to the way that like we run the farm with Greg now like when mm -hmm. Greg was working 40 hours a week in town he did not move his 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 animals the same way that he does now um he was just structuring it I think he was still moving them twice, twice a day but he had like he had like five different herds but like he because he was separating out heifers and bulls and like that whole one herd mentality he hadn't really gotten to that point yet but anyway i mean he was going out in the dark before in the winter time to go like move animals like before, before he went for work speed off to work work all day come back move the animals in the evening and then when he incorporated sheep the sheep was i can only move the sheep on the weekends mm -hmm. that was the only way that he can incorporate sheep when he was still working in town and now it's every other day so it's, it's like on the weekends yeah. he would set up all the paddocks that he had for the week you know yep. ahead of time so that for the cattle he just pull yep. up a wire but if something went wrong like a, a cow's having trouble calving or something or a tank gets busted or something like yeah, that it's, it's it was hard for him yeah but if you setting it up ahead of time saves a lot of time but i guess sort of the point i was trying to make is like we do it one way but you can you can adjust it to fit your life and like your work schedule and that's like a hugely important thing because if you're doing something that's incredibly strenuous on you on a daily basis you're just going to burn out eventually so you got to make something that make a schedule that fits your life and obviously it's better in a lot of respects to be moving your animals more often but you know 
at the end of the day, if you don't, if you stop moving your animals because you don't like it anymore, that's worse than moving them like every two days, you know, it's better for us if we move the cattle every 30 minutes, but yeah, we can't make that work. So yeah, there's always something better, but you, you can, you just got to do what you can and, and recognize that what you're doing is you're doing good, even though it's not maybe as, as ideal as you would like. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Maybe someday you can get to that ideal that you'd want to be at, but yeah. Yeah. Do you find that there's a big difference between moving the cattle once a day and twice a day? Cause right now I'm only doing once and I'm thinking about doing twice cause it can be the way I have it is really easy. What, what would be the, is there that much more of a benefit to do it twice? So you got to think about it like this. When a cow goes into a paddock, mm-hmm. she's she's taking the best first. You know, she's taking the candy out of the paddock. And so as time goes on, that the quality of the forage that she's eating is going down. But when you're moving that, when, when you're moving them once a day, it's still, you know, once a day is really good. Like very few people, you know, cattle farmers do that in the, in the United States. And if more people just moved them once a day, we'd solve so many problems. But if you think about it, so a full day that, that, uh, before the time quality. that they're in the lower quality is longer. Whereas if you're moving half a day, it's like shorter, little, like you'd have a little short spike and then better quality than poor, poor, poor. Whereas the, the full day would be a little bit longer. So it's kind of, if that makes sense, if I, I could draw it out, but yeah, that, that's kind of how I would describe it, you know, so like, they can get more of the better quality grasses. Yeah. And, and you're, and, you, and as a result, right, because they're spending less time in a given area, like you give them half the area that you would be giving them for a whole day as mm-hmm. far as like paddock size. And so you're increasing your stocking density every single day with the same amount of animals, which is, which is, which is, a, which is stimulating your, your soil biology a lot more than, you know, cause your density is higher, even though you have the same amount of animals, cause you're moving them, you know, every, you're getting every the same amount of forage, but it's, they're getting it a smaller amount yeah in for less time or you know the same amount but it's shortened the time and we're and we're talking about like the growing season also because like right now sometimes our protocol depending on where we're at in a farm will be we'll move them in the morning and then we'll feed hay on the same spot that they're on Mm -hmm. and so like we're effectively moving them once a day you know what i mean but they're getting but like the feed availability is really a half day. But mm. anyway, like sometimes we move them once a day, but I would say the vast majority of the time it's twice a day. Mm. And yeah, you're, you're going to see benefits as far as the, as far as like the land, like the impact that the animals have on the ecosystem, you're going to see benefits in that regard. You're going to grow more grass and better plant density, but also from a, from an animal performance standpoint, you're keeping the rumen biology like as like constantly in that high plane of nutrition. And so the issue, right. When like for a nutrition standpoint, if you were to not move them for five days is like Isaac was saying that forage quality decreases and decreases and decreases. And they're in there long enough that their bugs in their gut are now changing because they have to, they go, consume. From, they go like if you give them an area for five days, which is the same amount of forage. Yeah. The first day they have just primo primo grass and they ju- they just stuff themselves. The second day, yeah, it's still really good. It's just a little less quality. The third day, now you're talking like kind of middle of the road. Fourth day, they're they're solely on poor forage. Fifth day, it's like they're scrounging, you know. And so like their gut, like you said, it is completely like changes. Thrown, you know, in this like cycle of and then when like back like good bad yeah good, bad good bad and it's, it's, exactly how long does it take to the room into adjust it's like i think it's like um it's like two is it two, two weeks 
Oh, wow. Two days. Two days. Uh, but basically, like, if you if you're able to if you're able to continually if you're able to keep the quality of forage that they've got as constant as possible, mm-hmm. they're going to be healthier because their gut is adjusted to it. Whereas if you go from poor to high quality, their grooming their their bugs in their gut are not adjusted to that. So then they're not really performing to the level that they should be with the plane of nutrition they've got. And it takes them to time to adjust. And then they goes back down to poor quality and they got to adjust again. And so it's this constant up and down. And that's really an issue more like when you're talking like yeah or even three days as opposed to one like like one day as opposed to a half day, that difference is minuscule, but you're yeah. still gonna see Benefits. see results, you know, <laughs> yeah. from from doing a day versus versus um versus twice a day but then but you the, don't let it get cumbersome you know yeah if, if it's something that like it's a drag to have to move them twice, twice a day, day just move them once a day exactly that's it's, it's just that whole fitting into your lifestyle piece mm-hmm. and then the other thing to just be careful of too is like if you're at in that stage and granted moving them once every three days or whatever is a lot better than not moving them at all but once you start getting into that at least in this part of the country into that like three day like range of moving them you're at risk of them like re-grazing a plant that's already been grazed and so that's how you can create like overgrazing because like the plant right it gets it gets eaten once and then and then after three days it's actually starting to regrow a little bit and so the cows can sense that and so they go back to that freshly like produced blade of grass right as the plant's like just starting to like you know put put itself out there again using its root stores and it's like starting yeah. to grow and then it just gets hit again. And then, then the health of that plant just goes down the tubes. And so mm-hmm. like that's that overgrazing piece is something you got to be really careful of. If you're, if you're in that, if you're, if you're at a similar level of recovery time that we've got here in central Missouri and you're going on like three plus day rotations, you just have to be super cognizant of that about them regrazing a plant that's already been grazed. But oh. yeah, more often is better. You never want them to take a second bite. No nope. bite. It's always one bite and then you can move them. Yep. So interesting. Yep. Now on grazing, um, winter grazing. Okay. Th- this is something that w- watching your guys, watching you guys on uh, Greg's channel, it's just amazing to me how much forage you guys still have left. It's like green forage. Cause you guys grow a lot of, a lot of fescue out there. I know that's the, that's Greg's bread and bread and butter. I can't talk right now. Bread and butter. Um, what would you suggest to somebody that doesn't have fescue growing? Would you say, would you say, okay, go out there and seed it? Cause for us, we only, we only fit, we're pulling, we put our last bale of hay today. Um, we don't need to do it anymore because we have the grass growing back up. We only fed hay for 40 days. And I was thinking if we fed, if we went out there and did fescue, fescue, we might not have to feed hay at all. Maybe during the crazy storm that we had. But would that be something that you would suggest yeah. people to do that doesn't that don't have it? I would talk to uh, some like some of the experts in your area, like maybe the, go to the NRCS, you know, see if if they're if other people are growing fescue in you know in your local area. Um, if it can grow, you know, if Kentucky Thirty One fescue can grow in your area, it's a good, it's an excellent grass. Yeah, for the winter time, you know, grazing stockpile. Um, the only the only thing is like i mean there's a couple things but the only thing is like with the kentucky 31 the reason why it's it's so hardy and stockpiles so well is because there's a toxic endophyte mm-hmm. which means like there's a you know there's a there's a there's a there's a fungal symbiont in the plant that's toxic to the cattle 
and Greg's cattle are adapted to it yeah. after, you know, years of calling and, and, and whatnot. So like, if you, if you had a herd that was not adjusted to it and you planted a ton of it and then they start eating it, you're going to see a lot of cattle get fescue toxicity, mm-hmm. like right off the bat, which is not something to freak out about. It's just something that you're going to have to deal with. Um, if that's it's a not, it's not really a factor in the wintertime, it's, no. it's the summertime when the grass when, is growing yeah. that it really becomes a factor. Um, but it's, it's a wonderful grass. The only thing also that I'd be careful of too, is like, like, like you, you, you already touched on it too, is, is you should just figure out like what's growing in your area and if people can grow it. And what Greg says all the time is like, you should really be concentrating on grazing what's growing in your road ditch in mm-hmm. front of your farm. And so here, like Kentucky 31 great grows in the road ditch. And mm-hmm. so it's something that, that, that we focus on. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a competitive it region sure. specific to whether or not you should do that or not. Yeah, exactly. And obviously like seeding something is just like another thing that you got to do as far as like, instead of, instead of, you know, grazing what you already have, but granted, if it's something that grows in your area, it's really cheap. Like the yeah, seed is really cheap. I think it's the cheapest seed you can buy, at least in this area. It's the cheapest yeah. kind of seed you can buy. Um, so yeah, once it once it's in there, it's in there. Um yeah, that's that's another thing to be wary of too. Is so here with in Greg's situation, in the wintertime, since we're grazing this stockpile, we're beating the crap out of it. I mean, we're we're taking it down to two inches, you know, really putting some pressure on it, and that allows in the summertime other species to kind of come up and mix in with the fescue because if you don't do something to kind of set it back, it's going to just take over the farm. Like if you're not getting the animal impact that you need, that you need, it, it easily just clogs out other plants. So what it does, it has this big sod, which in the wintertime, that's what keeps the cattle up. But yeah. what in the summertime, it'll choke out, you know, it gets so strong and it chokes out all of, a lot of other species. Um, if it's not, if it's not back. beaten back and, and you don't want to do that in the summertime because that's when the endophyte toxin is really present, especially in that lower two to three inches. That's where it's really heavy. So you never want to be taking your fescue down that low in the summertime. But in the wintertime, as the cold you know goes on and on, the grass is exposed to the cold longer and longer, that level, exactly, that endophyte level just goes down and down and down. And so it becomes way more palatable. And that's when you can, you know, that's the huge advantage of Kentucky 31 is the grazing in the wintertime. I mean, it's just a massive competitive advantage in the summertime. It's not the best grass. Really, Like there's a lot better forages to be grazing in the summertime, but since it has such an advantage in the wintertime, that's why, you know, we love it so much. Yeah. Yep. And then the big thing that Greg pushes is unrolling the hay bales. And I've seen arguments go like crazy, whether or not to do it or not do it. Uh, I don't have a uh, bale unroller yet. Um, I have to go up to see you guys and get it. I actually just found out that um, Greg's starting to ship them. And I talked to Amber over at uh, Reject Ranch and we're setting that up. Yep. It's going to be great because right now I'm pushing hay bales. Reject Ranch. There we go. Yeah, no, right now <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing hay bales to unroll them and that's not too fun. But would no. you tell people it's worth it? I Yes. I like a hundred, like for most people, I would say a hundred percent it's worth, it's worth unrolling your hay versus, versus putting, putting in a bale, bale ring for sure. Um, yeah. The only situation where you can't do it is if you have a ton of snow because it yeah. doesn't like the, the unroller won't work if there's two feet plus of snow. But if you blade the snow away, then you can, with your tractor. Yeah, you can do it. Um, but 
um, yeah, I mean, outside of like extremes like that, or um, yeah, I mean, I would hundred hundred percent advocate for for unrolling hay for a number of reasons, but um, yeah, yeah, we can get into it. But I guess the biggest thing is the biggest thing to keep in mind is like there is no such thing as wasted hay mm-hmm. ever. So it's just hay that's not consumed by the cattle. So something is going to come. Something along is going to come along and, and consume it, and that something is going to do huge wonders for your farm. That's going to be earthworms or soil microbes. The thing, the the litter that gets left behind, that's going to be mixed with cow urine, cow manure. I mean, that's a tasty treat for an old earthworm. You know that they're going to gobble up on that, and yeah. and, and they're going to grow you some soil. Um, and the reason why Greg advocates for it so hard is because, like, he figured it out sort of on his own, where he was just like happened to unroll hay bales one time and was like holy crap there's a strip of grass that came up in the spring that's like way better than everything else in the area and that was the spot that he had unrolled the hay and so he's like well i just gotta start doing this like this is and so way before the bale roller, i mean he was doing stuff like driving a a metal spike through the middle of the bale and hooking it with log chains on the back of his Toyota. Yeah. And then like it would bend by the time, like he finished unrolling it. So he had to go find a tree and bend it back straight. Like that's the kind of stuff he was doing before he actually had an unroller. Um, but, and also like kind of stuff he did when he had no money. One time, know? Yeah. Once exactly. <laughs> yeah. you gotta be creative. Yeah. One time he was going down a hill with a bale and then he's, you know, he could feel the way that it's, he's pulling it and all of a sudden the chain came off and he felt it go loose. And it's in the dark and he doesn't have his lights on. And he's got this little red Toyota and he's heading straight for the creek. And he has to decide, do I go left or do I go right? <laughs> Takes a sharp left and bam, right into the side of his truck. It almost rolled his truck over. The truck went and then back down and it stopped the bail. The truck didn't go rolling into the creek, yeah. but he chose the wrong way. Yeah, so. But anyway, yeah, I would. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really just the fact that not only does your soil benefit from it, and you grow more grass as a result of it. But when you unroll hay like that, you have way more space for everybody, especially with a herd of our size, you have way more space for everybody to eat. Whereas like the entire, everybody can line up on a bale that's unrolled and calves, like heifers, full grown cows, bulls, like everybody's able to eat at the same time versus if you have the bale rings, I mean, yeah, you can only have so many animals trying to eat at one point. So the dominant animals you're going to get what they want and everybody else is going to sort of get kicked to the wayside. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of advantages to it. Um, and the big, yeah, like you said, the big thing to consider is it's not waste. That's like what a huge argument turn, against turn it. off yeah. people is like, Oh, you're wasting all that. hay, but you just, you can't think of it like that. Yeah. You got to think of it as you're doing good. And, and obviously when it's super wet, right. You're going to be like wasting more of it as in when you unroll it and it's incredibly wet, they're going to, the first thing they do, I don't know if it happens with you, but for us, when we unroll, uh, when we unroll hay, the entire mob basically gets on the, on the hay and starts running and walking like down on top of the like strip. Like they don't just sit there and like eat it and like, Oh, I'm not going to step on my food. It's like, no, I'm going to walk on top of the hay all the way down. And so if it's super wet and you unroll a whole bale and just like leave it there, they walk on it and there's nothing to eat. And so what we do when it's incredibly wet is we'll unroll a chunk of the bale fork it into little piles and then they sort of group around it and eat it. It's kind of like a bunch of mini bale, mini bale rings. And so we get, we get more consumption that way when it's incredibly wet. Um, but usually what we do is just unroll it and the first 40 feet, 
or less sometimes are is, is sometimes thick depending on if the bale has been sitting for a while um and so we'll just fork that out to make sure that it doesn't kill any grass and then the rest of it i mean it's usually thin enough that and they'll eat most of it yeah and they'll, they'll eat most of it and and in really and ideally greg would like them to consume like 70 percent of it and leave 30 percent of that hay just sort of sprinkled around over the ground if there's if they cleaned it up he he he'll usually think like oh we should have given him more hay because mm-hmm. it means they just consumed like just vacuumed the whole thing up but granted if you give them an incredibly high quality bale they just like it, it doesn't matter how much hay you put out like they'll just vacuum it up mm-hmm. so um yeah they can tell when it's good hay yeah and we're starting to be able to tell yeah. when it's super good hay but anyway so isaac you just graduated in high school in 2019 right yep that's so that make you right around 20 years old yeah, I'll be turning 20 in April. Okay. Yeah. And Ben, you are how old? I'm 24. I graduated I graduated from college in 2019. So we're like four, four years apart, almost exactly. Oh. Yeah. 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 So right I'll now, turn 25. Oh, wow. Okay. So right now, the average age of farmers in the United States is around, I believe it's 67 years old, 65, 67. Yeah. Where do you see this regenerative agriculture space going? Do you see it as a big opportunity for a lot of younger people to get involved in agriculture and, and start making their own business out of it? Absolutely. hundred percent. I think, um, you know, and there's a lot of people that talk about this, but the whole low capital, you know, low startup cost, you know, getting into it, that's, that's how we're going to get younger people like, you know, Ben and I and yourself to get into, you know, regenerative agriculture and, and get their feet, you know, planted and, and get their, get their ball rolling. Um, If you look at like commodity agriculture, you know, a single grain bin costs like $250,000 just to set up, you know, or like a confinement chicken house, same cost, you know, starting out as a young individual, you just can't afford that and make a, and make that work and make yourself a living. Um, that like, that's, that's just kind of common sense. And so a lot, like there's a lot of young people and people like our age, you know, that are finding this about out about this regenerative agriculture and really seeing it as a way for themselves and others to get into agriculture and, and do good, you know, for the environment as well. Um, I think like the social media has, has such a, huge impact on that because you know our generation has kind of grown up around social media we're, we're familiar with it and so we're able to connect on a different level that you know past generations they, they, they haven't really you know grown up with and so that's going to be huge for you know this whole space and, and everything that's going on there too so yeah it's like even if I mean like to, to for me I always get so caught up in like the, the like lofty level goal of like where the whole regenerative movement is sort of bringing society. But if you just ignore all of that and you just think about like, like what would you rather be doing? You know what I mean? Like, would you rather be like running around in like, you know, chest deep grass, like moving like super happy animals all day? Or would you rather like, you know, be driving like a manure spreader or like, you know, like a feed truck all day, you know, like it's just, to me, that just makes no sense. Even if you weren't into the whole like ecosystem repairing, like good for the land, like type deal, if you were just purely in like, what, how am I going to make money and how am I going to like live like a healthy, happy life? It's like, 
there's there's no comparison in mm-hmm. my in my opinion but i mean yeah. I, I mean i guess it's like there's always people who are into whatever but i think the it's, vast majority of yeah. people would find it way more appealing regardless of the greater good that it ends up doing it's funny because like everybody that i've met that has caught the bug that i would call it you know just goes head first in you know it's not there's like once you like get that inside of you like you see the potential of it I mean, it's just, it just gets going and going and you get fired up and you fire other people up and other people fire you up. And it's just awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's, well, it's, and it's, it's like really nice. The to people see. that have. No, finish, finish what you're saying. Yeah. Like the people that have like reservations they they haven't caught the bug because they haven't, you know, you know, like under, understand it fully. If, if I feel like if someone, if anybody understands <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah. full implications of it. There's just like a no brain, like it's common sense, you know, it just makes so much sense. So, you know, I'm, I'm 27 years old and most of the people that I've talked to in this space are, you know, 50, 60 plus, And that's who we learn mm-hmm. from. So it's really nice to be able to connect with younger people and see that, Hey, we're not the only ones doing this that are uh, a little bit younger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's cool to see, you know, we'll, we'll see where this takes us. And, let me ask you this last question, all right? Each of you have like separate answers. What's the number one thing that you've learned from Greg Judy? Oh, oh man. No, it's a little Should tough. I have just I have this before. Yeah, this I know. Is... It's, um, let me think. It's the number one thing. Oh, I, I, I got one. Right. Okay. Watch it. Watch you doing deal with farming. Um, I would say like the like the number one thing would be would be um would be like always be questioning like healthily always be questioning what you're doing um because like if you even so like the like you you held up Greg's book right so that think if that's the second that was the first book but it was published what in like 2000 something yeah. 2003 2005 um but regardless, like that book, right, has a lot of like applicable and awesome information in it. However, like there's a huge piece of it that is just completely missing from that book. And it's because Greg is constantly evolving and constantly questioning, like, you know, am I doing this the right way? Could there be a better way that we either move the cattle or we do mineral for the cattle or we do water systems for the cattle or like a better way to market this or that or whatever. And so he's always like, scheming and thinking about that kind of stuff like it's not like he's gotten married to an identity of how he's doing something he just wants to be successful at this whole cattle like regenerative thing and it doesn't really matter to him how he gets it done which is a reflection on us as in like he really values when we're questioning him and asking like could we do it this way instead of that way and that's come to like a lot of success for the business as well as like us and, and whatnot so i would just say regardless of what kind of path you are in life even if it's not even regenerative agriculture like even if you're successful like always have that sort of like healthy questioning like you don't want to be constantly second guessing yourself but always just be thinking about you know like man is there a better way that i could be doing this or um you know along those lines so yeah just always be always be always keep your mind open to to new things Mm -hmm. that's a good one um is it your turn (laughs) all right my that's you know that's another that wasn't what i was gonna okay i was gonna say (laughs) Um, i think what i say i i've learned the most from him is and anything that you're doing it's all about the relationships that you make you know 
Greg's whole marketing strategy and his whole business is wrapped around, you know, his passion for this and passion for, you know, inspiring other people and building these other, you look at his YouTube channel. I mean, he, he's just like doing it for the benefit of others. You know, it's not like he's doing it to like boost, you know, boost himself up or anything. He's trying to teach others and teach people the right way of doing things. And, and, you know, that's reflected both on his YouTube and in real life. Like we get to see him in real life and it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, it's not even like in with people just in regenerative agriculture, we'll go out to eat and he'll see people that he like hasn't seen in 20 years. Oh yeah. Making conversation, you know, and he like remembers like things about people yeah. that, and like, he's really good at, you know, making like that personal level, you know, yeah. you know, getting that relationship with people and, and, it, and it really helps him in his business and his life and everything. So that's, that's a super cool thing that I've, I've picked up from him. Um, but yeah. Wow. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, coming on. If people want more of you, because I'm, I'm sure they will, how do they find you guys? Um, go well, Greg Judy, regenerative rancher. If you look at Greg's YouTube channel, we're in that probably like every third video or whatever. Yeah. Um, but as far as our personal stuff, we both have Instagrams. Mm -hmm. Um, mine's on the grays and mine's Isaac Tappanen. No underscore all or case and and i've got a youtube channel it's just my name ben holly and we, and that's that content over there is exclusively this live stream that we do on on instagram every sunday night so people are interested in hearing us talk kind of like this um you can <laughs> we, we either just talk on and on you can you can you can even look at it on on on, on my youtube channel or, or on on the grays we we do that every sunday night so yeah chewing the cud yeah the cud so what's the plan for you guys to, after you guys uh, finish up with Greg? Any, any idea yet? <laughs> um, it's still, it's still, a lot, it's still a ways off. Um, and generally the way that it, like Greg, Greg will sort of put out the bat signal, so to speak, right? Like around the fall of like the year that we're going to be leaving. Um, this fall. And so like this, this coming fall is when he'll sort of, you know, put out a video about us like personally and be like reaching out to like his connections and stuff like that about like, Hey, they're looking, they're looking to do this or that or whatever. But I think at least for like, gen, I can only really speak generally cause we don't have any like specifics, but yeah. um, like for me, I think that the next step is, is working as like a manager for somebody else, you know, like whether that's working with somebody or working underneath somebody or, or whatever, but, um, but taking on some like more, more responsibility and, um, and just, just more reps and, and, and learning, um, making that gap smaller, like as, mm -hmm. as, as I was talking about earlier. Um, so yeah, like working as a manager that's, for somebody that's the same. Direction yeah. I'm kind of headed. Yeah. Is. And yeah, I mean, generally like I'm super interested in what this whole thing, like regenerative agriculture looks like at scale. So I think like, you know, like Greg's operation and smaller is always going to have a place like local food and like, like local, small, small to like medium sized seed stock production and, and beef beef, lamb, pork, chicken, whatever is always going to have a place in society. And I think it's, it's growing, but if this is going to become like a, a, like, you know, food system solution on a national level or even a global level, there's got to be some sort of element of scale. And so I'd be just super curious to see what this kind of operation looks like at a thousand head or plus, you know, so I'm, that's sort of the direction that I'm trying to head it head in. But um, at this point, just trying to be a manager after the fact. But yeah. yeah, that's what I'd like to be is some, something like you said to increase the responsibility and the learning, but then also have kind of the 
decrease that gap, you know, yeah. and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. Maybe somewhere. Well, I don't even want to say that because I'm open to any, you know, yeah. going anywhere. Cause it's like, who knows the experiences you'll learn, you know, in a different place in the country or whatever. So yeah. We might have to have you guys come down to Texas for a visit and see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool. Well, thank you guys so much. Really, really appreciate you guys coming on. You guys are a wealth of knowledge and you guys have an opportunity that I hope you guys uh, really take advantage of because I know a lot of oh, people yeah. are jealous of it. Yeah, I'm trying to squeeze that squeeze that lemon. Yeah, get all, get all we can out of it. Yeah. Well, until next time, guys, thank you very much and uh, we'll catch you on the next video. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us on. Thank you so much. It's been good.